And I think it's a little bit similar today. There's a lot of fun in the world. A lot. And I think it'd be a bit silly if we just forget about it and just continue like normal. Because the reality is that actually normal life at the moment is looking different. We have nations in lockdown, Italy, I think Spain, we have Denmark, the borders closed. Many, many nations shutting down schools. That unheard of things are happening. And I don't know how you're keeping up to date with it. I'm checking regularly on different Swedish uh, websites, news websites, Dagens Nyheter. There's a few that I'm looking at, all slightly different reporting. Looking at them, looking at Facebook, looking at Twitter, Instagram, all these different ways that I'm getting all the knowledge about what's going on around the world. I wonder how you're doing it. I know we have a lot of internationals amongst us. My family live in the UK, and so I'm also looking at the BBC news, the, the, the news in the UK, in England, what's happening there. So I wonder how you're keeping up to date with it. But there's one thing that is a common thread throughout however you keep up to date with the news around the world, whether it's in Sweden, which I hope it is because we're all in Sweden, even though we're from different nations, but also from the nation that you're from. How are you keeping up to date with it? The common thread is this, you will hear a lot of opinions. You will hear some people very wisely, um, you'll hear doctors say, no, this is okay, let's just relax. There's some steps that we need to take, but let's just relax. Okay, let's take it easy. Let's stay at home if you need to. Otherwise, you know, let's just take it easy. And you go right the way through to other opinions, but basically like with people running around saying the end is nigh. The world is going to end. And like people running around like headless chickens thinking, you know, and saying, you know, actually, it's not the coronavirus we need to worry about, it's the fact that America planted the coronavirus in China, and when the Chinese authorities find out that the Americans did it, the, the bug is the least of our concerns, as if like everyone knows apart from the Chinese. And so there's all these different opinions, and there's everything in between. And when we look at opinion, when we look at different people's opinions, it can be helpful, it can be unhelpful. And we wonderfully have one opinion that matters above everything else. We have one truth that we put above everything else. We have the Word of God. And so, as we look, as it is important to do, at all the different news and like what's going on and how we need to behave, and I think, I hope you've been keeping up to date with us on Facebook, following government advice, how, you know, these are what we need to do. As we look at those different things, we need to put them in the right place. Everything comes under the authority of this. This is the word of God. In Hebrews 4, we read that the word of God is alive, it's active, it penetrates. The word of God has something to say in today's current situation. Just as much as it did last week when we kind of had church like normal. And there was fever at the back. The word of God is alive, it's sharp, it speaks into family. It speaks into church planting. It speaks into our lives. And that includes when there's pandemics like this going on in the world. And so that being said, if you've got your Bibles, uh, please turn to Philippians chapter 4. It's where we're going to be spending our time today. I'm sure quite a few churches around the nations will be spending their time in Philippians 4 today. It will be on the board uh, behind me if you would like to follow along like that. It's important to have your own Bible with you if you can, because it just means that you can have a look and make sure that I'm not adding in any extra words or taking out any words. It's important to... Which, which I have been known to do before, apparently. It's not true. 
Um, but before we read it, it's important to understand the context of the book of Philippians. See, the book of Philippians is written by a guy called Paul. Paul, an apostle, a church planter, someone who hated Christianity, as in really didn't like Christianity, as in wanted to kill Christians, suddenly meets Jesus on the Damascus Road and everything changes. His life goes from hatred to love, literally. Everything changes and he plants churches and he has a reasonably successful time with it. In fact, I would say he's arguably the most successful church planter that has ever lived. But when he's writing the letter to the church in Philippi, he's not... There's someone at the door looking in. Um, there's... Sorry, put me off. Uh, as he's writing the letter to the church in Philippi, he's not writing it from, you know, like a beachside sea view apartment sipping a pina colada. He's writing it from prison. Paul is in prison. And so it's important that we understand that. Paul is not writing this book in a comfortable office somewhere. He is writing it in prison. This is, this is, this is where he wrote it. Just a fact. But not only is he living in prison, his future is very uncertain. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Okay, so not only is he in prison, we see at the end of chapter 1, he doesn't know whether he will live or die. As in, tomorrow he might be dead. He doesn't know. And so he's writing this book in a prison cell, not knowing whether this is his last breath, his last day. And it's very important that we get that when we go on to read what he's about to say. He's in prison. He could be dead by night. So understand, this is the person who's writing this, but not only the person who's writing it is in prison and in an uncertain situation. He's writing it to the church in Philippi, who actually, it seems to be a pretty decent church. It's not a church like in Corinth, that you kind of like, there's all sorts of things going on there. Actually, they're doing things pretty well. Yet, at the end of chapter 1, again, we see that they're suffering. Because the reality is, you can do church as well as you can, you're still going to suffer. Because there's an enemy that doesn't want the advance of the gospel. And so that as we, and we've found this as a church plant, we've come up against battle after battle after battle. Because there's an enemy that doesn't want the kingdom of God going forward. Doesn't want the good news of Jesus Christ getting out there. And so, and Paul, so Paul knows that the church in Philippi will suffer. Because that's what happens with Christians. It's not all, you don't become a Christian and life is sorted. Actually quite the opposite. You become a Christian and then you pick up the cross, Jesus says. You leave your mother and your, your, your brothers and you become part of a new family. There's a sacrifice to being a Christian. So it's not just all rosy, but there's an incredible hope, which we're going to go and see, which I just want to say now. But there's an incredible hope. So he's writing it in prison, uncertain future, to a group of people that are going through difficult times. Important to remember that as we read. Okay, Ephesians, um, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honourable, 
just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of placing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want to speak for the next 15 minutes um, and just kind of pick up a few things that we see in this scripture and I want to land on what Paul calls the secret. Okay, so he says right at the end, I know the secret. And so I want to land there, but we're going to take a journey there by just picking up a couple of other things. And the first thing I want us to see is this joy that Paul has. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Remember, prison, possibly dying, people who are going to suffer. What does he say? Be sad, mope around, be like, oh no, when is it going to happen? He says, rejoice. There is joy to be found in the midst of suffering. When you are surrounded by prison walls, when you are surrounded by prison guards, when you don't know that this might be your last, last, last breath, he says, rejoice. There's joy to be found. How, how has Paul gone mad? You know, he was working so hard that he kind of, you know, and he got hit on the head and suddenly that was it. That was when Paul went mad. No. Because his joy is not found in his current situation. His joy is found, as we see, rejoice in the Lord. His joy is found in the Lord. It's not based on the current situation. It's based on who God is. I heard this great quote the other day. I can't remember it word for word. Um, but it said something along the lines of, I don't read the Bible because God will love me more. He won't. I read the Bible because in doing so, I love him more. I think that's a brilliant quote. I don't read the Bible because God will love me more. I don't do it because it's law. I do it because in doing that, in reading the Bible, I see who God is. I love him more. And Paul knew who God was. He knew his theology. He knew the character of God. Because in scripture, we see that. We see what God is like. We see his character. We see his power. We see he's a creator. He flew, flung the stars up into the sky. We see that he's a shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. We see he's a father. We see so many things about who God is. And when we see who God is, joy comes. Because we realise we're not living life surrounded by prison walls. We're living life knowing the Creator. The God who shaped everything, who created. The God who knows every hair on everyone's head. 
the God who has everything under control. Everything. And so we don't need to be worried about thinking what's going to happen because God is in control. And he knows everything. And so we can have joy even when we're reading the news. Because God is in control. So the first thing we see is that Paul was able to rejoice in God. So he doesn't look around, but he looks up. He sees God. So look, look to God over these weeks, over these months, however long. Look to God. Okay? Look around a little bit, as we're going to go on to see, but look up. Know God. Know that he is good. Know that he is in control. second thing uh, we see is uh, in verse 5, let your reasonableness, reasonableness, yeah, be known to everyone. When I first read that, I kind of couldn't really understand what Paul was saying, reasonableness, what does that mean? Basically what he's saying there is don't just look out for yourself, look out for others. Don't just be so focused on your own safety, your own life, actually broaden your horizons. Look for out for others. Um, I'm, like, uh, when I went shopping just a couple of days ago, and I haven't been shopping over the weekend, um, but there, was, there wasn't like, loads of shelves empty and stuff like that. There wasn't loads of panic, but there was definitely an edge in the air. In the air? There was definitely an edge in the air. People were definitely a little bit different to what they normally would be. And actually looking at different... Um, around the nations, the USA and the UK, there are, I mean, it, there are literally riots going on in shops. People are focusing on themselves. It's at times like this that you see people, what they prioritise. And the majority of the world prioritises themselves. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known. He says, look out for others. Friends, we have an amazing opportunity as the world is grabbing all the pasta off the shelves, that we don't need to take 20, 30, 40 bit bags of pasta. But actually, we can look out for others. Now, of course, what I'm not saying is like, just give away all your food so you don't have any food. I'm not saying that. But there's a priority of saying, no, actually, do you know what? We are, we are a people who look out for others. I read a... Uh, tweet about a guy in London who had just taken literally all the dry pasta off the wall, guy in his 20s and there was an old lady who came up and said could I just have one packet of pasta? And he said no not two. And it's, it's like it's heartbreaking but that's the reality of the world we live in it really is let's be a people who are reasonable let's be a people who love let's be a people who look out for others wisely, carefully, absolutely but let's use this as an opportunity to love the city that we live in. I read this in, in an article the other day, the quote can come up on the screen, uh, by a guy called Eric Metaxas. Between 250 and 270 AD, a terrible plague, believed to be measles or smallpox, devastated the Roman Empire. At the heart of what came to be known as the Plague of Cyprian, after the bishop sent Cyprian, who chronicled what was happening, 5,000 people died every day in Rome alone. 
Okay, the, I think the, the stats, I think approximately 5,000 people have died from corona in the world, approximately, till today. 5,000 in one city were dying every day for 20 years. The plague coincided with the first empire-wide persecution of Christians under the emperor Decius. Not surprisingly, Decius and other enemies of the church blamed Christians for the plague. That claim was, however, undermined by two inconvenient facts. One, Christians died from the plague like everybody else. And two, unlike everybody else, they cared, from the vi- they cared for the victims of the plague, including their pagan neighbours. This wasn't new. Christians had done the same thing during the Antonine Plague a century earlier. As Rodney Stark wrote in The Rise of Christianity, Christians stayed in the afflicted cities when pagan leaders, including physicians, including doctors, fled. Candida Moss, a professor of New Testament and early Christianity at Notre Dame, notes that an epidemic that seemed like the end of the world actually promoted the spread of Christianity. By their actions in the face of possible death, Christians showed their neighbours that Christianity is worth dying for. Powerful. Sum that up in two words. Be kind. Think about others. Don't just think about yourselves. Tell the gospel of grace in word. There is hope in this situation. His name is Jesus. But also indeed, in how you act, in how you live. Next thing he goes on to say is, don't be anxious. And this kind of links back to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, also, don't be anxious. He says, the birds, you know, birds are being looked after, you also are going to be looked after. Don't be anxious. And the reality, I'm speaking for myself, um, but I assume there's others in this room too, who, the reality is that you can feel a bit anxious about what's going on in the, wor- in the world. Um, perhaps not so much, in, in terms of me, I'm not so anxious for myself. I, like, I'm 30, in my 30s, peak physical health, as you can see. Yeah, so I'm going to be able to fight it off, okay. Like, that seems like the stats. But I have, like, a one-year-old who has asthma. I have parents who are getting towards their 70s. I have a grandma in her 90s who has actually been self-isolating for the last five years. So she's like a step ahead of the game, prophetically self-isolating. I have friends who have underlying conditions. So I... I would be lying if I was saying I'm a little bit anxious about the situation in the world. Paul says, don't be anxious. But he doesn't just leave a gap and say, well, just kind of think about elephants. No, he says, replace it with something else. He says, replace it with prayer. Don't be anxious, pray. And so the next thing that I really want us to take away from today is that if you're feeling anxious at all, when that comes over you, pray. Speak to God. Because we have access to God through Jesus. We have access to the one who is in control. The one who knows the beginning and the end. So pray. Use it as an opportunity to pray. If I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling anxious. Pray. Father God, help. And we, we see that. He literally says here, Make your requests known. Oh Lord, I pray for my 
my, I pray for Oscar. I pray for my older parents. I pray may the gospel seed grow. I pray for my colleagues. I pray for my friends. Ask him for things. But notice this. He says do it in thanksgiving. Do it with a thankful heart. Why can he say that? Because Jesus has won. Because we have been given a gift. And so we can approach Jesus, we can approach God, we can pray, and we can be thankful. Because he's already won. I remember listening to a guy called Andrew Wilson, who is a New Frontiers theologian who is kind of now extending and kind of going around the world a little bit. A very, very clever guy. And he was preaching on healing, and he has um, some two autistic kids. And he actually said, uh, I believe wholeheartedly they're going to get healed. In fact, I believe everyone's going to get healed. And I, and I stopped when I was listening, because like, he's normally so like, solid. And then he said, like, everyone's going to get healed. And I thought, wow, I don't think I believe that. And that sounds name and claim it. And, and I thought, that's not what we see. That's not actually what happens. Not everyone does get healed. Um, but then he went on to say, it might not be tomorrow. It might not be in five years. But one day everyone will be healed. One day there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. As we meet Jesus, as we get given new bodies. And he was absolutely right, of course. And so we can pray help. We can pray, God, look after my baby, my young child. But we can pray so in a thankful way because Jesus has done it. We can thank him for the cross, for his life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't need to be worried because you have won it. And one day, every pain, suffering, tear, everything will be wiped away. Isn't that amazing? And that's a gift. It's nothing that we've earned. And that's why we say thank you. I don't say thank you to my employers every month when they pay me because I work for that money. But I've not worked for anything. This is all out of the grace of God. The gift of Jesus Christ. And so we can say thank you, because we don't deserve it. We should be anxious, but we don't need to be anxious. Why? Because Jesus has done it. Jesus has won it. The victory over sin, over death, over suffering, over everything. Amazing. Hallelujah. Wonderful stuff. Isn't it? Be thankful. Pray and be thankful. He then goes on to say, think. Whatever is true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What Paul is saying here, he's saying don't remove yourself from culture. Don't like, think that the Christians should remove yourself from culture and that culture is just inherently bad. That's not right. There's common grace. God has given common grace. God has given doctors, which is an amazing thing. And they're not all Christians, but they're worth listening to. Think. Listen to the good stuff. And there is good stuff out there to listen to. Thankfully, we have a doctor and a Christian in the room. So we have the best of both worlds. But think. Don't just remove yourself from culture. There's good things to listen to. Find them. But don't hang around the paranoid scaremongers, the conspiracy theorists who are saying, no, this is all happening because of the Americans planting the bug into China, it's going to be a massive world war, the end is coming. If you listen to stuff like that, you're going to start believing stuff like that. Don't think about stuff like that, throw it away. 
But there are good things, there are redeeming things in the culture. It's called common grace, what theologians call common grace. God has given good things. Think about those things. What Paul said, don't just remove yourself from culture. There's lots of good things in culture. And then we land today on what Paul calls the secret, moves on to the secret, and kind of, he really goes full circle, almost back to the beginning, how we started uh, this small section of scripture. And he says this in 4 verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul is able to say, He's lived a life in which he's seen a lot. He's lived a life in which he's seen little. He's lived a life in which he has received support from the church. Actually, in 14, he says, but you know what, I didn't really need that. Thanks, but I didn't really need it. Why? Because he doesn't find his contentment in the amount of money he has, or the lack of money he has, or the support from a church. He finds his contentment in one thing, and one thing alone, in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And now this is, this is a scripture that can get taken out of context, can okay, put tattooed or like, you know, on your back of your jumper and, you know, you walk around thinking, you know, I can do all things, I can sort of like, you know, if there's something that I'm going to be struggling with, I can do all things because it's in him. Actually, that's not what Paul's saying. There's an element of truth, but that's not what Paul's saying, that's taking the scripture out of context. What Paul is saying is that if it's in good times or bad times, I can do it all because I don't focus on what I have or what I don't have. I don't focus on my health or my family situation. That's not where I get my joy from. I don't get my joy from the fact that I'm sipping pina colada, looking over the sea, or whether I'm in a prison. I get my joy through him, in Jesus. I can do all things. Looking things that are looking good, things that are, you know, I'm struggling, I've not got any food in my cupboard. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So it doesn't matter if you have everything or if you have nothing, if you are in prison or out of prison, if the coronavirus is here or isn't here. Actually, we don't find our hope, we don't find our security, we don't find our safety in these things. I can live, I can go through all these things. Why? Because I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on him. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Strength is found in Jesus Christ. So to finish, and perhaps I can invite Alid up. The Christian message is, is upside down. Okay? It turns Paul, the murderer, into a church planter. It turns defeat into victory, turns fear into joy, it turns prison cells into places of praise where the gospel advances. It turns global pandemics into opportunities for God to move. It turns the cursed tree, the cross, into the place of ultimate final victory in which Jesus to the enemy could say, it is finished. It's the gospel. It's Christianity. The Heidelberg Catechism, which we read last week, 
ask the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And it answers the question like this, I am not my own, but belong. Body, soul, life and in death. It's my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. Can we stand? We're going to finish by singing a song. Um, But before we do that, I wanted to read a piece of scripture over us, um, and then we will, and then Ali will lead us in one final song. It's Romans 8, you may know it, it's quite well known, starting at verse 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we, how will he, not also with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life Angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.